Hi, this is Landon. And this is Monique. And we're coming to you a little late this month. Yeah, I know. We were a little busy last month. I know. We were in Montreal I know. at the National Emergency Nurses Association Conference and the official launch of Nina's National Emergency Nursing course called Epic. Epic, yeah. Which is really exciting. It is. And then we got busy <laughs> because we've done three Epic courses since. I know. And so, and we also were talking at the conference. So we are a bit late, but uh, better late than never, I hope I you're guess thinking. So. We're not coming to you from the Kitchen of Knowledge this month. We no, we're not. We are in a hotel room in beautiful Prince George, British Columbia. Absolutely. And it's beautiful out. It's 27 degrees. And we're inside. I know. Doing your podcast, but this is what it's all about for us. Apparently, right? now it's my podcast. All yes. Right. <laughs> so this month, yeah. what we are going to talk about is autonomic dysreflexia. And it's kind of something that, you know, a lot of people never heard of. Yeah. Uh, some people have and don't know much about it. But mm-hmm. uh, why don't you take us away, Monique? Yeah, I will. And I'm going to just jump right into a case study because, um, as often, our topics come from cases that we have seen. So a couple of months ago, I saw a patient. He has been wheelchair-bound for about 16 years. He had sustained a T4 spinal cord injury from a motor vehicle crash. And he had taken a wheelchair taxi, but um, had not belted himself in, as it was kind of a short distance. Of course, there was a sudden stop in the taxi, and the patient rammed his left knee into the back of the taxi seat. He wasn't planning to come to hospital, but said that in the last 24 hours after the injury, every time he moved, he felt sweaty, and he developed quite a bit of a headache. His uh, triage vital signs were blood pressure of 152 over 90, pulse 92, and respirations were 14. When I helped him get into the bed, I felt quite a bit of instability in his femur and noted that he got extremely diaphoretic with a spike in his blood pressure. He had been given a CTAS for limb injury with no obvious deformity. I realized at the moment that the triage nurse had not recognized that this poor gentleman had autonomic dysreflexia secondary to a grossly fractured femur. So as Landon had worked in the spinal cord unit, and I was telling him about this, um, in a previous life he was one of the nurses there, we decided that this was a great topic to discuss. And because this is something that's of special interest to Landon, I'm going to let him kind of geek out a little bit with some of the pathophysiology about it. Yeah, because I like to be a geek. Yes. So I think in order for us to really understand what's going on, we need to talk about the two nervous systems of the body and that being the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. And I like to really simplify them. And and the sympathetic nervous system speeds us up and gets us ready. Mm -hmm. And the parasympathetic either slows us back down to a baseline, but more importantly, it actually maintains our baseline. It's kind of your general system just running in the background, keeping the fan in your computer, just sort of going. Right. And then when you do more, something else speeds it up. And then this one just removes it and brings you back down to a baseline. So sympathetic nervous system, increasing heart rate, bronchodilation, increased... Uh, did I say heart rate? Uh, no, increased. I'm not sure if you did. but that's I think a- I did. Okay, sorry. Sorry, let's start that part again. Increased heart rate... <laughs> Increased peripheral vascular resistance or vasoconstriction and bronchodilation. Those are the big ones. The parasympathetic nervous system either allows you to return to baseline or if it's innervated, Mm -hmm. will slow down your heart rate, bronchoconstrict, and cause peripheral vasodilation, which we, if you're decompensating with it, we call it neurogenic shock. So how does that affect like um, autonomic dysreflexia? 
How does that play with that whole system? Yeah, so the, the thing with autonomic dysreflexia is these people with spinal cord injuries have a disruption of the pathways up and down. So mm. what it, it doesn't mean with a spinal cord injury is that you don't get sympathetic innervation anymore. You do. Right. So if there's a noxious stimulus, your body still sends a message up to the brain and it actually makes it through the spinal cord up to where the blockage is. Mm. The problem is it never gets to the brain. And in in the basic sense, because the body isn't getting the response it expects from sending the message up, it starts to overreact a little bit. And it starts to activate chemicals and systems through other means to get a message to the brain. Unfortunately, it's a bad system. It never actually gets there. Okay. And so what... can I ask you a question? Sorry, Landon, to interrupt, but is there a particular reason why it is more important in higher um, spinal cord injuries? Like they often talk about T6, and I think probably um, our audience would probably want to understand why specifically T6. Yeah, so we, we always, in, in textbook world, we always say that T6, injuries at the level of T6, which mm. is basically your xiphoid process and above, uh, can develop neuro, both neurogenic shock and autonomic dysreflexia. Right. And the reason we say that is is the T6 area, the nerves that run around there, mm-hmm. innervate and control one of the largest reserves of circulatory volume of your body, which is called the sphalanchnic, probably didn't say that right, <laughs> vascular bed. Basically, the blood flow in your abdomen, pelvis, all that, that it can shunt into circulation mm. if needed. Right. You don't have the ability for your brain to do that. Okay. So. So let me see if I can understand this a bit more simply because I'm kind of a simple gal. Um, so autonomic dysreflexia, or it's actually been called hyperreflexia at times also. It occurs primarily because there's this imbalance in your body systems, which control, amongst other things, your blood pressure. And this... Our human body is so incredibly complicated, but beautifully balanced. And there are balances to each of the systems in the body, including the blood pressure. One of the major ways the blood body controls blood pressure is by tightening or relaxing little muscles around the blood vessels. When your muscles contract, the blood vessels get smaller and your blood pressure increases. Kind of like a garden hose with water streaming through it. When you put your thumb over the opening, reducing the opening for the water to flow through, the water shoots out at a higher pressure. Similarly, when the body, when your blood vessels are smaller, the blood rushes around your body at a higher pressure. When a noxious stimulus occurs, a reflex is initiated that causes the blood pressure to constrict and raise the blood pressure. In an intact spinal cord, this same stimulus sets in motion another set of reflexes that moderates the constriction of the blood vessels. But somebody who has a spinal cord injury, the signal which tells the blood vessels to relax cannot get through the spinal cord because of the injury. Some of the nerves at T6 also control the blood flow to and from the gut, where there's this large reservoir of blood. So uncontrolled activity of these nerves may cause the blood from the gut to flow into the rest of the blood system, and then you also get that increasing your blood pressure to dangerous levels. And really, that's kind of why we're bringing it to your attention. Autonomic dysreflexia is considered a medical emergency, and it needs to be recognized immediately. If left untreated, it can cause seizures, retinal hemorrhages, pulmonary edema, renal insufficiencies, MIs, cerebral hemorrhage, and of course, the one that we always worry about, death. Seizures, coma, death. Death, exactly. Oh my God. So, 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 you know, that's great. What a great physiological yeah. background. 
what does this really look like? I know. I'm at triage. Someone comes in who's a high paraplegic yeah. or quadriplegic. What am I looking for? Yeah. So sometimes it's hypertension, and they sometimes will call it blood pressure greater than 200 on 100, but you should probably ask your patient what their normal is. Pounding headache. Sometimes their face looks quite flushed, or they have like red blotches on their skin above the level of the spinal injury. They may sweat, again, above the level of the spinal injury. They may feel like stuffy nose. I know I sound a bit nasally, but that nasal stuffiness, I know. Secondary to their vagal parasympathetic stimulation, they sometimes feel nauseous. They get more bradycardic, and they get those goosebumps. Uh, Medically, we call it piloerections, below the level of the spinal injury, and they'll have cold, clammy skin below the level of the spinal injury. So interesting, right? Yeah. And you may think, well, I would totally notice that at triage, but the reality is a lot of nurses, and and we both work at a place that, that sees a high volume of chronic spinal cord injuries because it is the spinal cord center, and people tend to, after their injury, move close to our hospital in case they need ongoing care. So they are frequent visitors of our emergency department, and you would think we would notice it. And, yeah. and both of our experiences, well, you know, unless you're kind of a, have a spine background or you, you've heard about this, it does get missed. So yeah. I know they sound like they would look bad, easily missed. So that's why we're bringing it up. Yeah. Um, lots of causes of this. And this is a great, in my mind, this is a great nursing practice intervention thing. This isn't something that we need a whole bunch of drugs and a doctor to come and see them. This is something that basic nursing care can take care of. So I'm going to give you a few statistics. Uh, 75 to 85% of the cases are bladder distension or irritation, most commonly caused by a blocked or kinked catheter. Yeah. Okay? Second most common cause is bowel distension, and that's about 13 to 19% of cases. Now, this is from some research of people who make it to the hospital. Yeah. Those of us who've worked with these patients, and, and if they're coming into you at triage, I would recommend that actually the most common form of noxious stimuli if they come in dressed in their wheelchair, is something's wrong with what they're wearing. So mm. very common one is the whoever helped get their shoe on in the morning, their big toe got folded over in the shoe. Oh, wow. And so it's just, it's uncomfortable. Right. Their nervous system is sending this something's wrong message yeah. where we would feel it and correct it. Yeah. It's not correcting, so the positive feedback mechanisms getting worse so uh, tight belts tight neckties Mm. tight seat belt in their wheelchair that kind of stuff anecdotally that's the most common cause yeah Uh, so you really want me to tell all these nurses to just get your patients naked get your patients naked (laughs) sounds like that in a minute okay all right so and the research would say that bladder is the most common and and i would agree after the clothing thing and and i think a lot of those people just don't make it to hospital right and that's why they're probably not captured in the research because they have a carrier who just undresses them or a family member. Right. Um, But the the most common documented one is the bladder. And so UTI, urinary retention, usually it's that they're sitting on their catheter bag Mm -hmm. or the catheter got positioned. Like this is not complicated stuff. It just causes complicated problems. Right. Um, They may, it it may be something physiologic or anatomic, like a kidney stone or uh, can even be as a result of having a cystoscopy, that sort of thing. Yeah. That actually surprised me, Landon, when I read about it is the things that we would do for diagnostics because people will still have kidney stones or bladder issues that are separate from spinal cord injuries because a lot of spinal cord injuries happen when people are young so they're going to need to have diagnostic testing and so I never even considered that if they actually may have the potential that this could be 
a consequence when they were having diagnostics. Absolutely. Quite shocking. A noxious stimulus is a noxious, noxious stimulus. stimulus. Yeah. Whether it's from a blocked catheter or from something we're jamming up there. It's, yeah. it's a noxious stimulus. Their brain knows it's no very different. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. So the second one, <coughs> excuse me, is bowel. Mm. Constipation, impaction being the, big the biggest one. one. Yeah. Um, could be during digital stimulation, although typically, you know, part of their bowel routine may be that they are manually disinfected. Yeah. We're typically not doing that long enough to actually make them make disreflexic. Them, yeah, if you are, so. you probably need a different approach to their bowel routine. Or you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hemorrhoids, infections, you know, anal fissures, all, the, all those yeah. things that can go wrong down there. Again, it's a noxious stimuli. Right. Third most common cause is skin problems. So um, that's what you were talking about earlier, right? Yeah. And, and so pressure sores, right. bad positioning. Right. Um, and the problem with, well, the positioning and the clothing, that's easy to take care of. Mm. The problem is when you start getting the pressure sores, right. the infections, that sort of thing. Because unfortunately, we can't just fix that now. Whereas the, the catheter, the bowel, the clothing, yeah. you can fix now and it goes away. Yeah. Literally in seconds, minutes. Yeah. Unfortunately, if they've got a pressure sore that's become infected, you now have to control this person's autonomic Obvious dysreflexia for yeah. the good 48 hours that the antibiotics are going to take to start to work yeah. and that kind of thing. Interesting, aside from those, sexual activity. Again, any sort of, well, maybe not noxious stimulus at yeah. this point, but again, it's stimul- overstimulation yeah. of that part of the body. So that can cause people to become dysreflexic. I'll say in my practice, I haven't seen that a lot. No. But then again, these patients probably wouldn't come to the hospital. Right. They kind of uh, they, sorted that out they before become, they came. These patients become masters of their own condition. Right. And so if they had been involved in some sexual activity, became dysreflexic, they'd probably put two and two together and go, well, I'll just sit around here for a while and probably get better. So right. not to say it doesn't happen. It's just, we I don't, don't see think it would be an emergency hospital. department yeah. presentation. But I think it's also something that we should have think about because I think sometimes we don't realize that they are still sexual beings Absolutely. and they are having things happen. And, and I found it interesting, and you're probably going to talk about some of the women-type issues like menstrual cramps and even labor and delivery. And I think, again, we sometimes forget that these are uh, young individuals who can still have sex and still can have babies even though they don't have any feeling perhaps below the level of their injury. Absolutely. And that's one of the phenomenal parts about having a fully integrated spine program is there are people who spent years of education learning how to do sexual counseling, right. childbirth counseling with people with spinal cord injuries. And, yeah. and, you know, they have a new normal to their life, but it does not mean that they can't live a life yeah. where they have some normal activities that other people may just yeah. assume that they can't do. I think that's quite fascinating, actually, for me. And I think it's a great reminder, isn't it, for all of us? Yeah. So so the fifth kind of category is other causes. Of course, it's medicine. Yeah, it has of to course. be other. So acute abdominal conditions, just list them all there. Yeah, exactly. Um, fractures. This yeah. is your patient. Yeah. Right? Had a femur fracture. Any noxious stimulus. It's yeah. pretty simple to think, well, yeah, I guess anything below the level of injury. So DVTs, PE, if it's low down. Yeah. And surgical procedures, diagnostic procedures. Yeah. There you go. And don't forget, they do have a risk of DVTs and PEs because they are immobilized. So that is something you need to think about. I think really the message isn't about memorizing this comprehensive list of causes. Just understand uh, when a body is under stress from some type of illness, injury, or any kind of stimulus or undergoing a procedure, when you have a spinal cord injury, the usual systems that keep you in balance do not work. And therefore, we... Are, um, as healthcare professionals need to be vig- vigilant in having the higher index of suspicion for the possibility of AD. 
I, I think that raises a great point. As I sort of referenced to earlier, these people are masters of their right. condition. And, and again, it's going to depend where they rehabilitated. We are lucky. We have one of the most world-renowned spinal cord injury programs yeah. where we work. And for, some, for a patient to leave our program and not understand what autonomic dysreflexia is, just wouldn't happen. Right. Now, that's not to say that the rest, I know a lot of you listen from other parts of the world. It's not to say that you have the same sort of resources. But generally, it is completely acceptable to say mm-hmm. to the patient, do you feel dysreflexic? Yeah. And if they look at you like you're an alien, then I guess they don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. My experience is most of them go, yeah, I kind of feel like it's coming on. Yeah. Or they say, actually, I've never been dysreflexic, but they kind of describe this might be what it feels like. Like, you can have that conversation. Totally yeah. appropriate conversation to have yeah. with a spinal cord injured patient is, what is your injury? Yeah. And things like, what were you doing? Do you feel dysreflexic? And if they do say, yes, I feel dysreflexic, what do you normally do to help? Exactly. What is your normal thing that causes you to become dysreflexic? Like, use them as a partner. They exactly. know themselves way better. And actually, they're the expert, aren't they? Totally. And I think, you know, when we try to consult experts, in this case scenario, the patient is your expert. So they probably know more about their condition than you ever will know. So just let them tell you or walk you through the, the situation. Totally. So let's talk about the truth. Yeah. So this is kind of like a multi-staged rapid approach yeah and the first as you referred to yes i'm telling you make them naked yeah and this is everything right this is not oh just take their shoes off this is right. everything comes off out of their wheelchair unseat belted on a bed mm-hmm. every piece of clothing including underwear everything comes off okay and your typical symptoms that you're monitoring are the headache the right. flushness and blood pressure right so and, and the patient saying they're feeling better. Honestly, they'll just say, oh, that's starting to feel better. Yeah. Very quickly. So make them naked. Yeah. Wait a little bit while you're getting some other stuff ready. Yeah. For step two, which I'll talk about in a second. Yeah. But st- keep monitoring their blood pressure, monitoring their symptoms. If it's yeah. not starting to go away, mm-hmm. you got to think, okay. What second, else is going on? Second thing, bladder. Yeah. Mostly because it's the easiest one to handle. So Landon, they sometimes talk about sitting. You know, you often think about, it says sitting allows some gravitational pooling of the blood in the lower extremities and kind of reduces the blood pressure. Is that something you've heard about? It's not something I've heard about in that context, but yeah. it's definitely it something. makes sense, doesn't spine it? Spine patients don't tend to like to lay down. Lie down. down. They okay. tend to like to be at least propped up in some, some way. Some way. Okay. On That's their good side, for us to know. head of the bed, 20, 30 degrees. They just tend yeah. to, that f- totally flat laying, they're yeah. feeling not able to move. It was yeah. fun. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be. Okay, um, great. So second approach, ir- bladder. Yeah. So if they have a catheter, right. it needs irrigating. Okay. If it flushes fine. Yeah great if it's blocked change it okay if it looks like it's been in for nine months you might just want to change, change it, it anyway yeah and if they don't have one because a lot of and that's something that a lot of people don't understand is yes they do not have voluntary bowel and bladder function but a lot of therapy involves bowel or bladder training right so yeah. a lot of them will do in and out caths right if they still have uh, upper limb function uh so don't assume this person's going to have a foley is okay. the message. So if they don't, right. say to them, I think I'm going to have to do an in and out. Uh, okay. They're probably expecting that as treatment for their autonomic dysreflexia. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and put in a catheter. I typically put in a Foley because they're sick at this point. Yeah. Let's not just do an in and out. Let's put in put a Foley in. right now and see where we get. Sure. The, the caudy people might not like me for that. But yeah. again, it's probably going to come out in half an hour when they get sure. better. Third approach, if that doesn't work, is bowel. Right. And this is where... Two things. One, ask the patient if they're off their normal bowel routine, what mm-hmm. their bowel routine looks like. Second is, 
yeah, put their finger up their bum. Yeah. And see what's there. So okay. if this is something, you know, obviously a spine nurse, we're very comfortable with that. Uh, if this is something as a nurse, you're kind of like, I don't know how to do that or it's not mm-hmm. something. We all learn it in nursing school, but yeah. is it something you do a lot? Get someone else there to do it. Get your physician. But this is not something that can just wait. And we tend to leave the bowels for later on sure. outside of the emergency department. No, this is an emergency. You need to get someone there. Finger up the bum. If there's big poop there, yeah. it needs to come out. It's right. probably the cause. You go up there, there's nothing there. That's probably not the cause. If it okay. is, it's a bowel obstruction way up there. Sure. That sounds right. normal. Fourth, Do- fourth thing? Yeah. You're hooped. Yeah. If it's not the clothes, if it's not position, bowel, or right. bladder, yeah. it's probably sepsis, okay. pneumonia, PE, all those ones that... We're Need further fix. diagnostics. We're not going right? to fix in five yeah. minutes. So then you may get to someone who, where you're now controlling blood pressure with medications. Until you find the cause, right? Until you right? find the cause and Absolutely. reverse the cause. Sure. So we don't tend to worry about the blood pressure in those first phase, no. which could be five, ten minutes. Okay. But after that, if it's like, oh, gee, and they're febrile, and they have a cough, and they're probably dysreflexic from their pneumonia, mm-hmm. now we might need to control blood pressure. Because again, it's not going to fix itself right now. Are there certain antihypertensives that are better than others? Yeah, so we might use nifedipine, right. immediate release nifedipine that you yeah. stick the little safety pin oh, in yeah, and, and squeeze and it, in. it under their tongue. Yeah, you may use nitroglycerin. Yeah. Now I've heard that's a little bit controversial because some of these patients, again, they're kind of young and they may be on certain medications uh, for their sexual dysfunction. Right? Totally. So if they're yeah. on um, sexual enhancements uh, of some kind. I think yeah. they're called, they're kind of a Phosphodiesterase funny... Phosphodiesterase inhibitors. Yes, okay. Of course yes, I would Yes, of know course that. you would know that. Yes. Uh, not because I use them, but no. because I'm a nerd. I understand. I just how that sounded. I know, it did sound a little funny. Of course funny. I would know what that yes. is. Yes. I'm getting old. Anyway. Yeah. So we don't, wouldn't, wouldn't we use wouldn't nitrates use ni- in them. Exactly. It's kind of risky to use nitrates in spinal Anyways, cord I was injured say, patients anyway. They're yeah. kind of a preload problem to start yeah. with. They venous pool a lot. Yeah. So I think really this is our last ditch, yeah. right? We don't really want to use drugs at all. But if the patient is clinically quite unstable and we've tried all your one, two, three steps, yeah. then we may have to do this till we find further yeah. cause for why and they're really, like that. And really, if you're getting to that point, I'd get people on the phone, specialists, yeah. you know, get a spine surgeon, get intensivists on the phone sure. and go, what do you want us to do with this person, yeah. right? But honestly, 99% of the time, steps one, two, and three, bowel, yeah. bladder, clothing, take care of it. So if their blood pressure gets better, Landon, is there a time period that they need to stay in hospital? Do we have to monitor them for, um, I've read somewhere for at least two hours, um, so it doesn't reoccur, but I wasn't entirely sure if that's kind of something that is... Yeah, well, I think that's something that you, you need to work out with your with physician. With a clinical, yeah. yeah two I guess hours it's a clinical seem, it, picture. It's not a, oh, I took your shoe off, you got better, let's send you home. Yeah. You, you don't want to get trapped into that. Okay. Maybe there was something else, but yeah, possible. a few hours for okay. sure. All right. Um, and they shouldn't go home with symptoms. Right, absolutely. Right? Yeah, they that, could no, be that makes sense. Something. Yeah. So isn't that wonderful? So now why did we start a talk about prevention? I think it's always important that we kind of talk about prevention, particularly in patients who are at risk of developing AD. And this is something that obviously they're going to be sent home with these instructions once they are diagnosed with this spinal cord injury. And so bladder intermittent catheterization should be regular and timely. They should learn how to use clean catheters. And if you do have indwelling catheters, they should be changed routinely and regularly checked for blocking or kinking. A lot of times people put those tubings way too long Mm -hmm. and they will get kinked up. 
Definitely a regular bowel program is essential. And prior to a bowel procedure, some people might even say if you're really prone to it, they may actually have to do an anal block to prevent autonomic dysreflexia, or sometimes topical lidocaine may be of some help in that situation. So interesting is this patient population often gets labeled as very... um, High, high needs around their bowel and bladder right so yeah you can kind of maybe get a picture now of why and so it's it's not that they're criticizing your nursing care when no. a, when a quad asks where their catheter is where have you taped it how mm-hmm. much distance is there yeah they also get reflex erections so you can't just have the catheter yeah. with you know a few millimeters before it starts tugging because they get erections regularly for yeah. sustained periods Soon it's yanking on this catheter that's taped to their leg. Right. We actually usually don't even tape it to their leg. We yeah. just let it uh, hang free. Free flow, yeah. But, you know, they may have it taped. They become dysreflexic now because it's yanking on their penis as they have this erection. Yeah, that's so, a great point. So it's not that they're criticizing your nursing care. Yeah. It's that they aren't sure if you kind of get some of their special Specialties, needs. And the yeah. other one is, is bowel needs. Yeah. You know, how often in an emergency department when someone pushes their call bell and says, what I need right now is some cascara, yeah. some milk of magnesia, and I need it mixed together with, you know, four toms. And, like, they yeah. come up with crazy concoctions right. that work for them over the years. Yeah. You don't want to ignore that. I know sure. it sounds not important in the emergency setting of, yeah. oh, well, I've got a chest pain, I've got this. You get them one hour off their bowel routine, that becomes a bowel obstruction or constipation, and they yeah. become dysreflexic and a burden on the system. Yeah. And the, they struggle with communicating that in a way it's like this is really important Important to to me me. because it's taken me three months to get on this bowel routine yeah one missed drug could be it and they're back in hospital with another three months to get back on their routine so just that's kind of an extra thing of just listen to these people take 30 seconds get them their concoction yeah right absolutely go into your dietary kitchen and get some extra prunes yeah you know at three in the morning do what you can exactly and it is something that they do think about um certainly more than we do but that's probably because they don't know what else is going on down there and they need to have some ability to be able to tell you what's going on in labor and delivery Often they might get a spinal anesthetic because it does actually prevent some of that autonomic dysreflexia and a certainly skin routine. You know, pressure uh, ulcers are, are almost a death sentence they for are. a lot of yeah. uh, spinal cord injuries. In fact, Christopher, Christopher Reeves, Reeves died yeah. of sepsis secondary to a uh, decubitus ulcer. So routine weight ch- shifts, skin checks are necessary, and any skin breakdown should be addressed early. Absolutely. So really some take-home points is let your patient be the expert. If he tells you that he is prone to AD or autonomic dysreflexia, pay attention to that. Check that you. if somebody has a higher blood pressure than you would expect in a spinal cord injury or they're tachycardic or diaphoretic, um, you should be investigating that patient. It could be autonomic dysreflexia. Investigate the causes. Make them naked. Most likely after that is check their bladder and then check their bowel. And then if not, you may need to actually give them a short-acting antihypertensives while you continue looking for diagnostics and monitor for at least two hours after resolution of symptoms. And at the end of the day, let really think about the patient. They know their body best. Prevention is key. They will tell you what they need. Absolutely. Yeah, that was great. Thank you very much, Landon. No problem. I felt like I talked a little fast at times, which the great thing about a podcast is you can just rewind and listen to it again. (laughs) Absolutely. We'll hopefully talk to you next month. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. Bye.
for past episodes and to comment on this episode, please visit our website at nursum.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education, www.prneducation.ca.